0: Girls, that was beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. Second Samuel and chapter number twenty-three. This morning, Second Samuel and chapter number twenty-three. Second Samuel and chapter number twenty-three. I have been by the bedside of a lot of people uh, as they were nearing death, but only a small handful of times when someone actually drew their last breath and spoke their last words. Some of you have been there as well. And um, there's something very significant about last words the impact that they hold, and and the insight that they give. When you are on your deathbed, uh, there's no time for pretense. There's nothing to pretend about at that point. And uh, sometimes a beautiful transparency comes through, and those words often are remembered and have great impact. Recorded for us in 2 Samuel 23 are the last words of David. So much is written about David, and we've spent, I don't know, a month or two now uh, in First and Second Samuel, and, uh, and most of them have to do with David and his life, the messages from recent weeks anyway. And I want to bring uh, yet another message as it surrounds David's life from Second Samuel 23. Would you stand with me out of respect for the word of God as we read together verse 1 and we'll read down through verse number 7. We'll read responsively, and I'll begin with verse 1. You join me on verse 2, etc. Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning, when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. And for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. But the sons of Belial shall be all of them as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands But the man that shall touch them must be fenced with iron and the staff of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in the same place. David lived his whole life, adult life, with people wanting to kill him. And he references that in verse number 6 and 7. And you go up against folks like this, you better have uh, iron, staff, spear, you better be prepared, in other words. That was his life. And uh, for that reason, he wasn't allowed by the Lord to build the temple because he was a man of war, a man that shed blood of necessity, shed blood. And uh, and uh, But he he was greatly used of God. He recognizes that right away in the second verse. It says, the Spirit of the Lord. It was God's Spirit in him and on him that made the difference. We understand the indwelling of the Spirit in the New Testament, but God's Spirit in the same Fashion came upon David over and over again, and he was anointed especially for the task at hand. He recognizes in verse 5 his unworthiness. He says, although my house be not so with God. He said, you know, on his deathbed, he said, we we haven't been what we should have been. And he recognizes that. It's a moment of transparency and honesty there. He said, my house, you know, we... God called me to be just and to rule in the fear of God. And he said that he really hadn't gone that way with my family. And yet God used him in such a great way. There's an, I'm going to title the message going back and forth in my mind. I got to settle on one because now it's time to preach it. Uh, Why did God use David? Why did God use David? Now, the most obvious one will be my last point. And if we don't get to it, then you know the message is not done. there will be a part two tonight. But uh, I think we'll get through it this morning. But why did God use David? I'll give give you the fifth one. Uh, He was a man after God's own heart, right? He was a man after God's own heart. But there's some other things, I think, about David's life that we can learn. And, of course, the purpose is our desire, or what ought to be our desire, at least as a believer, as a Christian, To have God's spirit in his hand upon our lives. To be used of God. To be a participant in God's plan. Not just a a spectator. Okay, how many of you are saved? Just say, man, if you're saved. You're born again. Okay, that's great. You don't have to go to hell. You're saved, you don't have to go to hell. You're going to heaven. That's wonderful. But don't you want more than that? Don't you you want something more than just, I didn't have to go to hell? I mean, that's, that's wonderful right there. Whoa, man. I don't have to go to hell. That's great. But I'd I like God to use me. I really would. And uh, so let's learn some things from David's life. Father, once more I pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I yield myself to you the best I know how. I pray you'll take uh, these thoughts that you've given to me that are written in front of me here to share with your people uh, that are in my heart. I pray that you will take away that which does not need to be said, add to that which should be said, that would be a help to your people. And may all hunger to be used of God, in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I remember, uh, as a teenage boy, where I first began to feel a desire for God uh, to use me, and I was first introduced to the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know if it's the first time I was introduced to it, but first time I understood it and and listened to it long enough to understand that it was for me, and then actively praying for the holy spirit to fill my life and to use me i wanted to win a soul to christ which i had never done and i remember taking a week and praying throughout that week lord fill me with your spirit i would like to win someone to christ and we went out on we had a teen soul winning time like our youth do here and that day i got to lead someone to christ for the very first time personally show them the gospel show them how to be saved and uh, they responded in faith and prayed to receive Christ as Savior. And it was exhilarating. And I've never gotten over it. Amen. And Brother John and I got to talk to a lady yesterday. And she bowed her head and trusted. She was trusting God for just about everything else. <laughs> but, but she had no idea about her soul. And I said, Let, you can trust Him for food and all these things God's done for you. is time you trust Him with your soul? She said, yes, it is. And she got saved. And I've never gotten over that. I love it. I love it. I love it. And, uh, and, and and I want to be used of God. That that desire began to really uh, to really uh, crescendo in my college years, and preparation years. I became very hungry to be used of God, and uh, and and I don't want that hunger to go away. And I do have to pray sometimes, confess to the Lord. Uh, I want that. I want that desire. I don't want to lose that desire. And I wanna I wanna I want to see God increasing not, not me as a person, but just increasing his work through me. I wanna bless more people, I wanna help more people, I wanna see more people saved, and I want to uh, uh, God's blessing and his spirit on my life in that regard. I began to hunger that really as a young man, eighteen, nineteen years old. I remember, you know, you doodled, how many of you doodled in class? How many of you doodled, you drew little pictures in class? All right, all right. There was this stage in my life where I got, I was hungry. I was thinking about it a lot, praying about it a lot. I can go back and look at some of my college notes. And, uh, and there's, there's some doodling in there, I must admit. Uh, whatever, little, you know, whatever it was. Uh, uh, a bazooka coming out the end of the page, shooting something across the, the, the notes. Anyway, uh, but I also find in there, I find the column of notes, just little words like, oh God, use me, oh God, use me. Oh God use me. Oh God use me. Oh God use me. And I really began to hunger. I wanted God's power. I want to I want to abuse me. I want to see people saved and lives changed for the glory of God. And uh, still to this day, and I go through my time of thanksgiving and praise, there's three little words. That resonated in my heart. I shot them down again as I had hundreds of times before in my life. This morning as I was making a little list to praise the Lord for. That God would call me and choose me and use me. That humbles me. I don't know about you. I don't know if you like what you do. But I love what I do. I love being a preacher. I get to yell at people three times a week. It's great. Now, preaching is it. a little small part of it. of But I love it. I love it. And I learned to love it because this man loved it right here. He loved ministry work. He loved people and loves people. And I saw that and I witnessed that. And I'd go with him to the hospitals a little bit and shut-ins and so forth like that. And knock doors for a bus route. And, and uh, I saw that. And learned to love people. And I, it humbles me that God would call me, that he would choose me, and that he would use me. And I got to verse number five while I was reading this. And I was thinking, you know, David is, he was talking about his life and he recognizes here, he says, you know, I, did, I failed. I failed. Uh, I told Heath this this morning. I wasn't going to tell this, but I was going to tell it now. <laughs> I was thinking about, um, you know, sweetheart, you told me about the, uh, the, the, um, Videos of kids are posting, I quit when I haven't quit. Quit, what do they call it? Quitting without quitting or something like that. But is, anybody know, anybody familiar with that? What's it called? Silent quitting. Silent quitting. It's silent quitting, that's it. So what the kids are doing, or whoever, is taking videos of themselves on the job, doing nothing, or or whatever, because they know they're not going to get fired, silent quitting. In other words, in other words, see, I'm on the job, I'm getting paid, but they ain't going to do it. They're not going to fire me. They're not going to get rid of me. Y'all, all some of you right now already looking it up. Please put your phones away. <laughs> Look it up later. <laughs> it, it, it might not be true. I haven't looked it up. So anyway, let's pretend it's true. Anyway, but if it's true, uh, but. My understanding is like they're doing nothing or whatever, and and and, and their boldness and the brashness because well I'm not going to get fired. And the truth be told, probably not. And we all understand why right now. Somebody told me about going to a restaurant, and um, and uh, folks were lined outside the door and they waited and they finally got in the restaurant and there was only about fifteen or twenty people in the restaurant, and a bunch of empty tables besides. And the man came up to him and, and seated him and took their order. He said, now look, he said, you have to be patient. He said, I'll be back in the kitchen for a while. And so he's in the kitchen, and he comes, he, he took their order. He went in the kitchen, cooked their food, brought their food back out. to. He said, I don't have any help. I'm doing it all. So we understand why that, that people can get by with doing those kinds of things. Because no, I mean, we say no, it's a pretty big generalization, but nobody wants to work, right? You can't find workers. You can't find people who want to work. By the way, that's this is not the sermon. But let me just throw this in here. That's why we ought to believe in individual responsibility. And if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. We ought to practice that. And just because you can get a handout doesn't mean you ought to take a handout. Just because you can get a handout doesn't mean you ought to take a handout. Let me try it one more time. Just because you can get a handout doesn't mean you ought to take a handout. And, uh, hard work is still in the Bible. Six days shall thy labor is still in the Bible. And, uh, but, but people don't want to work. Many people don't want to work. And, uh, and, and, and it would be worse off if, if, if employers didn't have anybody and so they don't fire, even if they're sorry laborers, they don't fire them because it's better than having nobody. And I thought about that as I read that fifth verse. And I read David's life, I've been reading and studying David's life, and David has some amazing mountaintops in his life, and he really did some dumb things he he grieved God and and i as I was thinking why why did God use David so why did he make this everlasting covenant with David, which was a continuation of his covenant with Abraham Isaac and Jacob and why would he do, david i mean david, ah! and 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 then I thought, you know, we're all God has to work with. <laughs> I mean, us. How, how many of you, now I'm not going to ask any testimonies, but how many of you have ever felt that? I don't know why in the world. I don't know why in the world God would do anything with me. Would you ready? Yeah, yeah. Why in the world? His mercies are what? New Every morning, why would God use any one of us? why doesn't he fire us <laughs> we deserve it don't we yeah by the way if you don't relate to this what I'm saying right now you ought to be able to relate to it because it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed amen let me let me show you I think some hints in this passage as to why the Lord used David. In verse number 1, we read these words. Now, these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse. David, the son of Jesse. I want to make this suggestion to you. I think one of the reasons that God used David is that David was never ashamed of where he came from. He was never ashamed of where he came from. Jesse was not nobility. He was a peasant. If you, uh, uh, if you will. He was a farmer. He kept animals. He was of no notable birth. Uh, uh, and and he, uh, uh, David had a common background. But David was never ashamed of that. David was taken. I love 2 Samuel 7, 8, where the scripture says of David, I took thee from the sheep coat, uh, uh, from the pasture, if you will, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. God's reminding David, look, I know where you came from. I know where you came from. You know, uh, David, David uh, 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 in this passage is recognized, and you'll find that repeatedly throughout the Old Testament there. David, the son of Jesse, David's attaching himself to his roots. And he said, I, I don't want to forget where I came from. And yes, David was given by the will of God a life of privilege. David became fantastically wealthy, fantastically influential. We're still enjoying his influence today. And it will be felt all the way into the millennial reign of Christ and the significance of the throne of David even in the millennium. And yet David did not forget his roots. He did not forget where he came from. You know, uh, you know, uh, 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 none of us ought to live in the past. None of us ought to live back, uh, where God saved us from. Some, some of you, I'm not going to ask for testimony, but how many of you say, preacher, since I got saved, I am not the same person that I used to be. Would you raise your hand? Okay. All right. And, and some of the things I used to do, place I used to go, I'm just not that person. Any more? I'm looking at Alan back here, and I think probably there's a time in Alan's life where he would have never imagined himself uh here and, and in in church and taking an offering and and, and being a worker in the church. But 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 salvation will change your life, Amen. And surrender to Christ will will transform your life, and and, and it's a it's a life long process we are being transformed more and more as we learn to think like Christ through this book and as we gaze upon him and his his beauty get our eyes off the world we're more and more conformed to the image of Christ but but there ought to be something about us that says uh, you know I don't want to forget where I came from the Old Testament prophet said this remember the pit from whence thou art dig don't go back and live in the pit don't go back and visit the pit but don't forget the pit don't forget where God brought you from and and David was a man of humble beginnings, and he wasn't ashamed of that. I'm thinking of some folks, I won't obviously not use names, and I don't believe anybody will know, but almost 27 years of pastoring now, I can think of more than a few. uh, I I can think think of several. I'm thinking of a young man who was as awkward as, Socially, backward, socially, and uh, not because he didn't have a good personality, but just because of the people with whom he would involved himself and the things that he was involved in. Several of his friends uh, died very young. But anyway, then he came to us that way, and his parents were pleased. Can you help our son and so forth like that? And we loved him, you loved him, and helped him, and many others loved him and helped him. And uh, we saw great transformation in his life. And then I remember the coming to a time in his life. I mean, he was just, he was a kid kid that no other kids really even knew how to befriend him. It was just difficult to befriend. Okay, some people are hard to love because they don't know how to receive love. You understand? They don't know how to take love. They don't know how to take it. We say, oh, we're so glad you're here. They don't know what to do with that. They've never had that. And, but but God's people did love him and reach out to him as awkward as it was. And he came to, to, to Christ. He surrendered his life to the Lord, made some key decisions in his life, began to grow, uh, and, 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 and became accepted in the Beloved, which Ephesians says is part of your inheritance as a child of God, to be accepted in the Beloved. And, and then I watched where there came a season in his life where he became proud and wanted to shun other younger people coming into the church, to the youth group, to the Sunday school departments that were themselves a little awkward socially. And I remember witnessing that one time, and I wanted to jerk him up by the nap of his neck, take him out in the hallway and say, You of all people, you were the weirdest kid that ever walked in this church. (laughs) And we loved you and God has helped you why are you mistreating someone else you know it's a sad thing when we get to the place in our life where we forget about the grace of God in our own lives every one of us deserves to be in hell not a single one of us deserves the goodness and grace of God in our lives that we enjoy i could mention other stories and illustrations and 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 look, look can i say this if god's I'm not. I'm not for uh, glorifying sin. I've heard testimonies before that almost, almost to the it seem like glorifying sin. Now, I don't think that honors God. I'm not for that. I, I, but I, I think it's healthy to say, "God saved me from brokenness," and you don't ever want to go down that road. I think that's healthy, but not to the extent where we glorify like I was the worst sinner of all. Let me tell you what I did. No, I. <laughs> not, not that. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? Some of you have been saved from some grievous seasons of life of sin. And you've got a testimony and it needs to be shared in a way that honors God. But can I say this? Uh, None of us, none of us ought to forget that we are all just sinners saved by grace. And the same grace that it took to salvage some in this congregation from gross immorality, from drugs, from alcohol, from that kind of life, is the same grace that we pray for these little children who stand on these little steps and sing that you'll see on grandparents' day, take the same grace to shield them from a life of sin as it does to salvage someone else out of a life of sin. And that's why there's none <laughs> any better than anybody else. Amen. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And I believe that, 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 one, that David remained humble. I believe that David uh, never got to the place, where well, I'm a king now. We're king now. And I don't associate with riffraff anymore. No, 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 no. David never forgot where God brought him from. Look at another thought here in verse 1. Be, these be the last words of David, the son of Jesse, and the man who was raised up on high. The anointed of the God of Jacob. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord made the difference in my life number two very simply, i've already said it but he stayed humble he stayed humble this is his lifelong remember now this where we are in david's life this is david on his deathbed this is david's last words. you understand and to, to his dying day david said he said get his god's spirit in my life that's all that's the only explanation for my life it, it was that he unraised me up and he anointed me that's that's the difference maker I think about his words in 2 Samuel, such a beautiful, beautiful words in 2 Samuel and 7 and verse number 18 when he sat before the Lord and he said, who am I, O oh, Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me thither to? I think about how that when he came into that place of power and it was finally established and, uh, and there's a those seven years of, uh, warring faction between, uh, uh, the, set of uh, this set of tribes and this set of tribes and so forth and Judah and other tribes and and david finally the kingdom was united under his leadership and he sits before the lord he said i don't know i don't even know what i'm doing here i don't who am i what is my house what is that that's the cry from a heart of humility i think about jacob the night that he wrestled with god And he began that season of prayer in the 10th verse of Genesis 32. And he said, I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies. I think about uh, Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, when God called him to deliver the nation of Israel. He said, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and bring forth the nation of Israel out of bondage? I think about 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse number 18 when David is met with the prospect of being royalty and actually marrying into the royal family. He says, who am I to be a son-in-law to a king? I think about Daniel chapter 12, verses 26, 7, and 8. When they say, Daniel, we hear you can interpret dreams. He said, nobody's smart enough to interpret dreams not your soothsayers, not the Caldeans, none of them. But there is a God in heaven. Amen. Hey, whatever's good about my life, whatever God's done in my life, whatever's whatever's good about my life, whatever positive has been done in my life is because there's a God in heaven. Amen. There's a God in heaven. That's the only Explanation. Now you you compare that spirit in contrast to Absalom. You compare Moses who said, "Who am I that I should be a deliverer?" Uh, Daniel says, "I can't I can't interpret dreams, but I got a God who can." And and, and a, a, a David who said, "Who am I that I should be a ruler over God's people?" And Jacob who said, "I'm not worthy of the least of all thy mercies." To compare to Absalom. In 2 Samuel 15, verse 4, he said, Oh, oh, that I were made a judge in Israel. Oh, that I were a judge. He meets people as they're coming in to the capital to meet with the king, hoping to have an audience with the king. And he's hanging outside the gate there. He walks. I got a sermon on this. I'll give you a little snippet of it. I haven't preached it yet, but um. But but uh, they come to him and and he, he feigns humility. They come to do obeisance to him. To be, and he says, no, no. He reaches out his hand. He pulls them up to himself and g- kisses them, which is not a tortoise, like our handshake, and, and gives them the greeting, uh, like a greeting of a friend. He yeah, you don't have bad to me. I'm one of you. <laughs> Feigned humility. And then he says this. He says, uh, he said, oh, I wish I could help you. Feigned sincerity. He says, you know, if I was a judge, you know, if somebody would give me a shot, if somebody would finally get, recognize my talents and abilities and my wisdom and give me a chance, then I can really fix things around here. <laughs> That's exactly the kind of person God doesn't want to use. Why? Who gets the credit when something good happens? You know who God wants to use? David, who says, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Why am I here? Why did my house get chosen? I'm not worthy of the least of your mercies. Exactly. So when God uses us, he gets the credit. Amen. Because anything good God's ever done that's in my life, about my life, through my life, is not because of me or any intrinsic value in me. The only thing value about me is that God loves me. That's what makes me valuable. And God shows me. That's the only value I have. It's not, in, it's not in and of myself. It's because there's a God in heaven and he's a merciful God. And if we remain humble for him and say, I don't deserve this. I, 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 I don't deserve anything, then God can take such an one as David with a spirit of humility and say, I can use a man like that because I'll get the credit when I do something through him. What did the prodigal say? Give me my portion. I'll show you. I know, I know how to succeed. I know how to handle money. I know how to handle myself. Give me my portion, Dad. Give me a shot at the world. You know what he did? He overestimated his own wisdom. I can handle money. He took, If I understand uh, Luke, uh, that chapter correctly, the Bible said he took and gathered all his portion. Well, part of that was part of the estate. That means he had to sell off his portion of the estate. And he put it all in a bag. That tells me right there the boy's brain isn't fully developed. He had to be under 25. His prefrontal cortex was not quite firing on all pistons yet. You don't take everything you own and put it in a bag and go someplace you've never gone before. That's not smart. One baseball bat to the head and you went from rich to forever impoverished. Anyway, but he thought he knew more than his daddy. Give me my portion. Give me a chance. Give me a shot. And uh, he found out he wasn't as ready as he thought he was. God likes to use folks that say, I don't deserve to be here. But if, God, you need something, I'm willing. I'm willing. Amen? By the way, by the way, that that's better than the pseudo-spiritual statement. No, 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 To pick someone else because I'm not that good at it. That's a false humility. Yeah. Did you understand what I just said? Uh, I'd love to help, but, you know, I'm not. I'm not I'm, there are other people much better at this than me. God, God, doesn't, God isn't looking for talent. He's looking for surrender. I'm not that weak. Guess what? We already know you're not that talented. That's not a newsflash. So quit feigning humility and just say, you know, I don't have much to offer, but I'm available. I'm available. God, you want to use me? Here I am. God gets the glory for such and one. Humility. Look what he says here in the same verse, verse 1. Now, these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. David on his deathbed was sweet. (laughs) Number three, he never got bitter. He never got bitter. Now, if anybody, if you if you track the life of Bible characters, and you look at their life, if anybody had a right to be angry, and bitter, it had to be David. The one that would rival him in that regard would no doubt be Job. <laughs> but David, man, he's a teenage boy. He's a teenage boy, and. Saul uh, decades his senior, old enough, really, just about old enough to be his grandfather. And and, and here's his teenage boy in the king. I mean, he's he's a shepherd. He's his family are not nobility, they're not of means, they're they have a good name. But they're not, anybody, they're not somebody, so to speak. And, and he comes out of the pasture, and God begins to promote him. And here's this man, old enough to be his granddad, who is the, a man of wealth, a man of means, a man of influence. And he wants to kill him. And he's a teenager who wants to kill him. <laughs> and you would think if anybody had a right to be bitter, to be angry, to be resentful, it would have to be David. And yet, as you track David's life, you find that he did not. Now, he was tempted. He was tempted with Nabal. He was tempted to be vindictive. But a gracious lady with, uh, with some food. By the way, that's still the way the man's heart laid is through his stomach. <laughs> but a gracious lady named Abigail didn't have much of a hard time talking him out of it. He said, you know, you're right. That's foolish. I don't need to do that. But if you track David's life, he he is not vindictive. The times there in, in 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 the caves where in Gedi in the wilderness of Ziph, David twice refused vengeance against King Saul. He could have. Saul was seeking his life to kill him, and twice David had the opportunity. One time, one in the wilderness of Ziph, the spear, Saul's spear was. Stuck in the ground, right next to his head, where he was sleeping. I mean, he could have killed Saul with his own spear. Just lift the spear up and drive it through his heart, and it would have been all over. And his trusted men next to him they were ready to do it. And and and, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, was Abishai I said, "Let me just let me do it. Just all your troubles will be over. Just let me take him out right here." David said, "No, no, don't touch him. He's the Lord's anointed." David had not done anything wrong in Saul. He'd been a blessing and he helped Saul, and yet he he refused to be vindictive. He refused to get back. He refused to to fight back when he fled because his own son Absalom came to usurp the throne and and raised a coup against David. David said, "I will not fight my son." And 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 and, uh, and uh, uh, when when the fight finally came to David, he told his men. He said this, he said, deal gently with the young man for my sake. Don't be harsh with him. What? He's trying to have you killed. It's your own son. He's trying to kill you. He's trying to take your throne. He said, yeah, but don't be hard on him. Be gentle with him. When he was on his way out of the city in 2 Samuel 16, verses 5 through 13, a man who was at the house of Saul and Saul's family, Shimei, was up on top of a uh up the up the hill there, and uh, and a ledge there, and he was he was cursing, and swearing, and, and kicking dust down on as they go out, and and some men, uh, David's men were like, "Yo, oh, David, let me have him, let me have him, let me have him," and, and David said, "No." David would not curse back. He said, "This, let him alone, and let him curse." David would, did not become vindictive. He did not become vindictive. He did not become hard. He did not become hard when I mean, he was still, I think, probably still, maybe 20 years old at this time, maybe 1920, maybe right in that age, when finally he had to leave the palace and leave the fellowship of his friend Jonathan that he loved so much and that loved him so much. And we preached on it a few weeks ago where the Bible talks about David and, and, and they, they do see each other one other time. At that time, they thought it would be, he said, this would be the last time I see my friend Jonathan. He told him, he said, there's but one step between me and death. John said, no, no, I'm talking about dad. Dad doesn't want to kill you. He said, I'm telling you, there's but one step between me and death. I, I, it's feast time. He's going to expect me to be there. When I don't show up, you come out here and you let me know uh, what, what his reaction is. And uh, after the, after two days of not showing up, uh, uh, Saul did indeed go into a rage and tried to kill his own son, Jonathan, for colluding with David. And, uh, and Jonathan went out there and... Uh, and, uh, a shot the arrows as the uh, story went and and then he met privately with David and the Bible said that they wept and it said until David exceeded. He just couldn't hold it in anymore. The pressure on this young man and the hatred for him and the, and then the bitter resentment against him and the jealousy and the envy against him completely uninvited, totally unprovoked. David had done nothing to earn such envy, and 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 and, and uh, he had been nothing but respectful to Saul. He refused to be vindictive, but his heart is heavy and and he's broken, and he and he he's not angry. He's weeping till uncontrollably. I think about Joseph when he finally revealed himself to his brothers. From age seventeen to age thirty, he was a slave. That's 13 years to be bitter and angry because your freedoms, you don't even have any human rights. You're treated like an animal. for 13 years until God finally exalted him and put him next to the Pharaoh. And then his brothers come. He has a son. He has two sons. One means forgetting. One means fruitful. He finally, 30-year-old, now he gets married. He has a son. He names his son forgetting. Manasseh and Ephraim. He names, he said, I can finally put my past behind me. And then he's the other one fruitful. He said, now I can finally get on with my life. I can forget about the, the tragedy of my child. I can just forget it all. I got, a, I got my wife. I got my two boys now. And about the time that second boy is born, here comes his past walking into his life. Again, his brothers walk into his life. He speaks harshly to them in the beginning. He's in Egyptian garb. He has, uh, he speaks the Egyptian tongue. And, uh, and his brothers do not know who he is, do not recognize him. He's standing there... Uh, they're speaking, of course, in their native tongue, and he can understand everything they're saying. They don't know that. And uh, finally, David goes in, and he just goes in and closes the door, and he weeps and weeps and weeps, and the servants are like, what's going on with Joseph? Finally, he gets his composure, comes back out, talks with his brothers. They go away. They come back again. That next time, when he reveals himself to them, he sends all the servants out, shuts the door, and he says, I'm your brother Joseph. And they, they're shocked. And he weeps, falls on their necks. Here's this teenage boy, hated by his own brothers, kidnapped, sold into slavery for 13 years. His rights taken away, but he never got hard. Why did God use Joseph in such a way? Why did God use David in such a way? With all the hardships and the battles and the betrayals. Even his own son trying to usurp the throne and his own son trying to kill him. And yet on his deathbed, how does he, is he described David? Such a sweet, sweet man. A sweet psalmist of Israel. Can I say this? They said, you want a God to use you, keep your heart tender. Those grudges you've got, it's time to bury them. It's time to give forgiveness, ask forgiveness. It's time to get those things right. It's time to get sweet again. That's what God wants to use. Notice with me the phrase in verse 5 he said although my house be not so with God David says this he said "I." he said we don't deserve to be here I wrote this thought this way why God used David he was never ashamed of where he came from he stayed humble he never got bitter number four he, he learned to take correction well He learned to take correction well. Here he recognizes this is an admission of his unworthiness in verse number 5. And David, you know, he had some grievous sins in his life. We all know the story of 2 Samuel chapter 12. And when uh, he has sinned and a grievous sin with Bathsheba a sin of passion and then a premeditated sin of having Uriah killed and try to cover his tracks. And, and the man of God, Nathan, comes in tells a little story. He says, a man in your kingdom, and one little sheep is like a pet to him. And he had a neighbor who's very wealthy, had a lot of sheep, and the rich neighbor had a friend come on a long journey, and he said, you know, I need something to feed my friend. to come on a journey. I need to harvest an animal and have a, put out a spread of meat and, 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 and supper for him. So he went over to his neighbor's house and stole the one little sheep. It was, it, was, it was like a member of the family. Stole that sheep and harvested it and slaughtered it and, and fed the. And, and David was outraged. David said, you've got to be kidding me. He said, where is that guy? He said, I'll have him killed for that. We're, I'm, we're not going to stand that in my kingdom. <laughs> you know, we're particularly harsh with others when we see our weaknesses in their lives. And Nathan the prophet looked at David and said, Thou art the man. Next words out of David's mouth I have sinned. Now, that's not easy for anybody. That's not easy for any one of us to be corrected, to be pointed out. So, you're wrong. One of the hardest things in the Christian life to do is humble ourselves and admit when we're wrong, when we get corrected, to swallow hard and do as David said, I have sinned against the Lord. I think one of the reasons that God could use David, even though he sinned grievously, David took correction well. He responded well. When David heard those words, Thou art the man, and the realization of the story, he just is fresh off that harsh. Uh, Wanting to string that guy up all of a sudden he's the guy that needs to be stringed up And he realizes it And he says I've sinned against the Lord No rebuttal No explaining No context No excuses Just I have sinned against the Lord He knew how to be honest with himself When he was convicted He admitted it I have sinned We'll find it uh, uh, This is not in chronological order again uh, of course, but in Second Samuel, the very next chapter, there's a story that happened early in David's life for which he was judged of God. And the nation was judged because he numbered the people. And finally, when he was confronted with his sin, his response in the 10th verse of Second Samuel 24, he said, I have sinned greatly. And verse 11 said, when David was up in the morning, God touched the man of God's heart to come and see him. I think David was up early in the morning working David over and touched the heart of the man of God, who went to see David and confronted him. And David again said, "I have sinned greatly." When, when one of the one of those occasions when he had a chance to kill Saul, 1 Samuel, First Samuel, this time twenty four, I believe it's chapter twenty four, and uh, and he uh, uh, does not harm King Saul, but he just cuts the, the the word skirt like we use outskirts. That's the way it's used in the Bible. Uh, It's not particularly talking about a garment, but it's talking about the edge of something. And so in this context, the skirt was the edge of King Saul's robe. And so he cut off a little piece of the hem, what we probably call the hem, the hem or the edge or the skirt of of his robe as evidence that he had been right there by him and could have killed him but did not. And the Bible says when he did that, when he showed that least amount of disrespect to the king, the Bible says... His heart smote him. Now his 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 mighty men next to him said, Let's kill him. Good night. Get rid of him. And David said, I can't do that. I can't touch the Lord's anointing. And he said, I'll just cut a little piece of his robe off. And then he said, Oh, how could I have disrespected the king like that? Would to God that we could be as sensitive to the Lord as that. And then lastly. The most obvious. (laughs) Why did God reject Saul? His disobedience. What did he say when the word came? Samuel came to tell Saul, said God's rejected you from being king. He has found a man after his own heart. Why did God use David? He was never ashamed where he came from. He stayed humble, never got bitter. Took correction well. And lastly, most importantly, he had a heart for God. I find it in those words in verse, at the end of verse number five, I have marked, underlined in verse five, all my desire. He said, You know, though I haven't been in my house, we haven't been what we wanted to be, uh, what we ought to be. He said, We wanted to be. Oh, I know I failed the Lord. I failed the Lord in my house and my children. And I know we've broken God, but I want to. And I'm dying, but I still, my, still, my desire. Is the same. I still want to please the Lord. I still want to be in God's will. I still want to honor Him. And can I say, my dear friend, there's a real devil, and the devil tells us, that when we stumble and when we fall, that the Lord's done with us. But I got news for you. God uses broken people. And God uses people again who fall and get back up. Proverbs twenty-four, sixteen, a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. And on his deathbed, David says, Oh, it was the Spirit of God upon me as a young man. And it was anointed of Him. That's the only reason I didn't deserve it. I'm I'm, I'm David, the son of Jesse. I come from a little spot. And I I have no noble blood. But God in His sovereignty wanted to use me. And it humbles me. And I'm thankful for that. But I messed up. And my family messed up. And I don't deserve to be here. And I recognize that. But there is still in me all. my desire. I still want to do right. I still want to please the Lord. And that's what kept bringing David back when he fell, when he stumbled and he got down and the devil said, you're done. He said, no, there's still a God. I still love him and I want to be right with him. And he got back up and he got right with God. They said, you don't have to be perfect to be used of God, but there must be something that beats in your breast that says, I know I fail. I fail every day, but I want to. I want to. I I want to please the Lord. I want to be in a right standing with Him. I want to be a vessel He can use. He had a heart for God. He loved God. He communed with God. He had a hunger for God. Psalm 63, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land. Where no water is to see thy power and thy glory. So as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. The 8th verse says. My soul followeth hard after thee. Try to wrap your mind around that. My soul followeth hard after thee. It was a man who pursued God his life long. Read the Psalms. You'll find, find him as he pours his heart out to his God. Even his complaints the psalmist said. Oh, God, over and over you find. Why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God you find time and again. He found his strength and encouragement in his God. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. When those closest to him wanted to kill him, he encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. May I say this, dear friend? Every one of these is something you and I could do. I could remember where God brought me from. Could you remember where God brought you from? Never be ashamed of humble beginnings. You and I could remain humble. Not be vindictive. Not get bitter. Could we do that? With the help of God's spirit? Sure we could. We could learn to take correction. Well, it's no fun, is it? We could do it, and we could live our lives pursuing the heart of God, longing to love Him and follow Him wholly. And when we fail Him, admit it, recognize it, and get back up and say, "God, I'm coming after You again. I want to be close again." And God could use you, and God could use me. Man, we get lousy service around here. Lousy service. Why don't they get some? People around here that can actually work. Well, this is all we have to work with. If God's going to do something great in this generation, look around. This is what he has to work with. Let's put ourselves on the altar this morning. Amen. God, imperfect as I am, would you use me? Would you let me be a part of what you want to accomplish? Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed.